Hello, and welcome to episode two of the uh, Fresh Out the Deli podcast. I'm Nick Sicali, the founder of Fresh Out the Deli and a writer at the St. James Plain Dealer. And joining me once again, as he was in the first episode, it's uh, Nick Albarica. Freeman, how are you? Hey, how are you, Nick? I'm uh, pretty good. I was watching Seth Rollins' Turn on the Shield. Oh. Uh, right when you called to uh, he's know, back? take up the time. <laughs> yeah, he's back. <laughs> <laughs> Not with the Shield. I haven't watched um, Raw in, I think, two months. Yeah. I don't know. I, I haven't watched since the last pay-per-view, unfortunately. And there's a new one this weekend. Oh, which one? Uh, Money in the Bank. Oh, that's the best up. one, I think. This weekend, yeah. That's big implications. So, yeah, it's one of the better of the uh, non-WrestleMania SummerSlam ones. So it's probably going to be terrible because it's been pretty bad for a month or so. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the WWE's been pretty bad for better part of a year. So <laughs> really, it's always been bad. But <laughs> it doesn't mean it isn't fun, right? I guess it's just been boring. That's kind of why I got I stopped watching after Shane came back. That was very exciting. Uh, and then that definitely lost its luster after a few months, and then that was it. Well, that that's Shane's storyline didn't really make that much sense to begin with, and then they kind of abandoned it altogether, and now it just, like, doesn't make any sense. And <laughs> they, had, they had the announcement that they're going to be doing another draft or something similar to a draft to split up the brand between Raw and SmackDown. And they already announced that that's going to be happening in the middle of July. So we have a whole month still until that happens. And because people know that happens, everything kind of before that seems like it's pointless. Yeah. I mean, because if you know it's going to restart in July, so why would you even bother a program that you know everybody's going to pretty much die or have a restart? Uh huh. I think it was kind of weird how. They're like, oh, if you lose, you have to leave Raw forever. And then he lost. And then he's like, he shows up and says, well, I lost. And then turns around and is like, skulk, like sulking away. And then like, like looks over his shoulder a little, like, you know, all right, say it now. And then he goes, wait, you can stay for one episode. <laughs> and everybody, and so it didn't even matter. And then he ran Raw no, for just... like the next month. And then people kind of got bored of him. When he came back, you assumed he would get Raw. Yeah. Because there's no way they would bring him back just to have a month of glory and then do nothing. Mm-hmm. But why set up all the stipulations that if you lose, you could never come back and I'm disowning you forever and you hate me and I hate you when you have this giant match and then you just boil it down to absolutely nothing, like literally the next day. So yeah. what, I, what I always <laughs> thought they should have done, which would have been a simple fix, there's just one tweak. For the, during the WrestleMania match between Shane and The Undertaker, all you have to do is have Vince McMahon sit on the sidelines for the match and watch. Mm-hmm. And he could be watching The Undertaker beat the shit out of his kid, and Vince McMahon's an evil guy, but nobody wants to see his son die. And that's like a very primal feeling every person has. That's like a universally accepted thing. So he could be seeing his son get beat up, and then he could see Shane wanting to jump off the top of the cage... And Vince could go and say something like, Shane, you've proven enough. You've proven enough. Don't do this to yourself. You don't need it. Yeah, you don't need it. You win. That would have been like, pretty cool. The whole match could have been exactly the same, except Vince is there. And then right before Shane jumps off, Vince says, no, no, you don't need to prove anything. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. And then Shane could have jumped off and done it, gone anyway and then lost. But if he would have done that, it would have at least made more sense as to why mm-hmm. Vince all of a sudden trusts Shane again or why they have this bond. For so. sure. Um, I think... 
like uh, Shane McMahon, the real human being, risked his life. Like, how high is that cage? Right. Like fifteen feet? Right. Like it's it's fake, but not like, really. I mean, you can't get hurt. Yeah, leaping from uh, a height that great is is incredibly dangerous. Whether you've got like pads down there or not, and then and then like what's it called? The Undertaker just rolled out of the way, and then they just wheeled him off, and then the next day it didn't even matter. <laughs> right. He's walking around with like a slightly black eye. Yeah, I was like, um, I was on Twitter that night, and people like who you'd never expect to be talking about WWE were like, "Take a look at this crazy thing that happened," and it didn't matter at all. And I think that's why the WWE is kind of—it's boring when you know that what's happening like doesn't matter. How it could just be erased or changed. It's the WWE is somehow simultaneously both too quick to reset. And to give up on a storyline, but also not risky enough to let storylines play themselves out fully. Like, if they see a storyline isn't working in the first two weeks, they can abandon it or kill a character off or do whatever they want. And that doesn't, like, that storyline can mean nothing. And you're like, okay, they're just completely washing it. Maybe next time it'll work. But at the same time, they have storylines that really work that they carry and they... Like, they're working, they're working, they're working, they're really going, and then they don't know, like, how to let it die. Yeah. So, like, they either reset it way too quickly or let it run its course and then, like, keep going and going and going until you're completely sick of it. Like, they don't know the right time to adjust things. Mm-hmm. But we're not talking about WWE today. We are not. We are talking about baseball, since this is a sports podcast and okay. a music podcast and an entertainment podcast, we figured one of the four, first couple episodes has to be about sports. Sure. Fair enough. So what I asked you to do today was kind of go through maybe either look at the league leaders in a couple of categories or kind of look at interesting stat lines and pull some out and maybe we can talk about some players you want to talk about mm-hmm. or uh, some stats that intrigued you. So right. uh, I can go first if you want or if you have one that you're really, really excited to talk about, you can go first. Well, to me, I kind of did like a wow, like like impressive player, and then I have a guy who's like good and bad. Like there's some you know some stuff to be said for both parts, and then somebody's just absolutely horrid, you know. So I don't <laughs> no, know how I, you structured yours. I have three guys. Um, I have a kind of a, a hodgepodge of stuff. It's a nice smash, and uh, I can start. Yeah, why don't you go ahead? Just I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. The first thing I noticed is that out of the three regulars playing in the Marlins outfield, mm-hmm. Giancarlo Stanton has the lowest slugging percentage of all of them. So that's Christian Yelich, Stanton, and Marcelo Zuna. But it's not only the slugging. He actually has the lowest batting average on base percentage and slugging percentage of all three. Wow. What's going and on? He's... He's one of the first, you know, $300 million men in baseball, and he's young, and he's powerful, and he currently only has, I believe, 12 home runs this season, which, that's not no power, but for a guy who you expect if he's playing a full season, he's going to hit at least 40, if not 50. Right. Uh, and he's had health issues, for sure. Even this year, he had a little bit of a health thing, but he's batting 194. And his strikeout rate is off the chart. I mean, you expected him to strike out, but not bat 194. What's his, uh, what's his OPS? Do you have it in front of you? 
I don't have his OPS. I, his on-base percentage right now is 303. Oh, that's terrible. And his slugging is 418. Yikes. And just to put that in perspective, Kristen Yelich, who I think has six home runs, is slugging 495 mm-hmm. with a 318 average. Yeah, Yelich has been a very nice surprise. Um, the thing with Yelich that I really enjoy uh, is that he all of a sudden became a walker. You know, He, he always had pretty good uh, plate discipline. Uh, I believe he's had close to 300 average the three or four seasons he's been up, and he knows how to put the ball in play. But he was never a prolific walker like this. And now he's walking almost like at an even pace as the strikeouts, and that's really telling for a, a player who's matured. Right. Um, and the, Ozuna, he's batting three fourteen, which is pretty mind-boggling when you think about it. Mm-hmm. I think last year, I mean, he got demoted two months into yeah. it because he couldn't hit his way out of a paper bag. So. Well, I think the thing with Ozuna was, uh, I don't know if you heard like the beat talk about him. It was kind of like... I think who's the manager? Was it Mike Redmond at the time? I think he had last a, year. Yeah. yeah, he had a an issue with Osuna for one reason or another. Like there was a lot of clubhouse issues that were going on with him, and um, I think baseball. Pers- I think Loria disliked him too for whatever reason. I think it is Loria, the, uh, the owner. Actually, yeah. was Loria was the one with the issue, and he, um, you know, um, I think baseball prospectus kind of like kind of. I, re- I read the prospectus this year, and they said. This guy's poised to have a good season. You kind of saw that with the numbers and him getting like sent back and forth, even though everybody in the clubhouse liked him and he was posting pretty good numbers. Uh, and he's pretty young, too. It's not all that surprising that he's performing very well. What is surprising, however, is uh, John Carlo playing this badly. I mean, he was poised to be like one of the best players in the league, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... He, when healthy, he's been one of the most dynamic offensive players. And he plays pretty good defense, too. I mean, mm-hmm. that's uh, the inter- most interesting thing about the Marlins coming into this season and, and for the last few years is that they have these three outfielders who could all play defense, who all have a great hit tool. And they were led by Stanton, who's the oldest of the three, but they're all, I think, still under 26. Mm-hmm. And Stanton to have this big of a decline pretty suddenly without any noticeable change in terms of health or like I mean I'm sure his approach has changed because nobody just goes from batting 280 to batting 190 but Mm -hmm. it's it's just kind of it's a shocking development for a player who is supposed to be one of the premier bats in the league and one of the premier young talents I mean he's supposed to lead that team he sells the jerseys in Miami and right it's him and Jose Fernandez and when you go into the season with one of the are you one of the five best pitchers in the league and one of the five best hitters in the league? Uh, I mean, the Marlins never really come in with that high of expectations, but that's a, a, it's hard to find a team that has a top five player at both, both sides of the ball. Right. And the Marlins presumably should have had that with Stanton and Fernandez. <clears throat> I think as, um, as late as a couple of weeks ago, I think the Marlins were above 500, and this is a team that cannot put fans in the seats this is a team that's been just the laughing stock of the league for a while and now they're kind of competitive and it's kind of a bad time for stanton to be slumping so i'm, I'm looking at the standings now and the marlins are currently 34 uh, and 32 so they are still above 500 and they're in third place they're only a game back from the mets and they're uh, six games back from washington so they're they're ha- they have a surprisingly good team uh record wise and i don't know if they can be 500 all season but they kind of picked 
a bad time to have this resurgence because just two years ago it was the Nationals at the top and nobody else. And now that the Mets have kind of had this two-year run where they're you know, an extremely good team and they have this rotation that's finally kind of coming into themselves, uh, it's kind of unfortunate that they picked a time now where there's not a wild card spot open and they, their division is more difficult than it has been. Mm-hmm. Especially considering, like, JT Realmuto, like, he's he's a decent offensive catcher. Um, you know, Martin Prado's not bad. Justin Bauer can hit for power. The outfield, like you said, is is very good um, and should be one of the best in, in the league with Stanton playing well. Um, mm-hmm. And you do have Jose Fernandez, who I think is below, is like, as far as ERA goes, it's like Kershaw... Baumgartner and then Fernandez, like he's up there, top three, top five. Right. When you're making a list of pitchers, it's usually Kershaw, Arietta, Baumgartner, uh, Chris Sale, and then right the next one is either going to be Scherzer or Fernandez or maybe Strasburg. But yeah. he's definitely in that top seven. There's that top seven class that they're kind of a class above everybody else. I guess Syndergaard would be in that class also mm-hmm. this season. So it's kind of peculiar that Stanton's slumping as hard as he is, and you have and to think still winning, right? And you have to think where they'd be if he was the monster he was, um, you know, a season ago, right? Do you, um, do you think he can come back, or he, yeah, do you I think mean, he's gonna come back this season? Uh, I, he's got to regress or more to the mean. I mean, he's not gonna be batting two hundred all year. Uh, he might not put up 40 home runs because it's going to be hard to make the difference. He only has 12 now, which means he's on pace for about 24, 25. But I could I could see him finishing with maybe 32, maybe batting 230. And, you know, it, it, pumping the numbers up, which means he has a good second half. It doesn't mean that his whole season was good, but he could have a good second half. Right. He, he's still been in a pretty big slump lately, and it's just kind of surprising. But uh, do you know who hasn't been on a slump lately? Who? That's Ichiro. Oh, yeah? He's the fourth member of their outfield. And currently Ichiro is batting 347. What? He's got a 410 on base percentage. And he's slugging 388. So his slugging is only 20 points below stands. <laughs> You're kidding. And Ichiro's played about half the game Stanton has. But Stanton on the season has 38 hits, and Ichiro, after today's game, has 44. Oh, my God. So Ichiro is playing, you know, surprisingly good defense for his age. He's 41. Yeah. Uh, he's old as time. <laughs> but the, the man can still hit. The man's still got speed. And he's really, when even though Stanton's slumping and you expect it to come back, he's actually proven to be an extremely valuable player. He, Stanton, I think, has a war well below one right now. And Ichiro's war in... A half season is 1.3, which would be the highest, uh, what puts him on pace to have the highest war in, I think, the past three or four seasons. That's very good. So, so you're, who's the manager now? Uh, the manager is uh, Don Mattingly. Yes, Don Mattingly. Baseball. So what do you, uh, I mean, do you kind of platoon him? It's, it's hard to say. And, and with Ichiro, I mean, it's kind of almost ridiculous that I'm asking this question, but maybe not really. I mean, if you were playing a video game mm-hmm. and or like a, a, in a sim league and this wasn't real life and these guys were just doing this, no question would you put Ichiro in to replace Stanton, you know, three, four, five times a week. Right. But the problem with that is Ichiro, I think, is doing so well this season because he doesn't play every day 
Mm. He does really good when he's the starter, but he, he, at, at 41, he's probably not in the physical uh, condition to be an everyday player, especially playing defense. Yeah. Um, and Stan, even if he's struggling on offense, uh, he can still drive in runs probably more efficiently than Ichiro can. Yeah. And he still has... At, at this point in Ichiro's career, he's not nearly the defender as Stanton is. Stanton's got a hell a cannon of an arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they both got speed out there. So in if this was a, a situation where you're playing a video game and you had to pick one of them to play uh, play each uh, game, you'd probably pick Ichiro. But because Stanton, you don't want you don't want to sit Stanton on the bench because the more you sit him on the bench, the less likely he is to get out of the slump. And you know that as good as Ichiro is, he can't do this all season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So eventually that's going to flip. Ichiro could bat 300 all, all year, but Stan eventually is going to get it mm-hmm. turn, turn it on, and Ichiro is much more suited at this point in his career as a fourth outfielder, kind of a defensive replacement near the end of the games. If Yael Ichiro Zuna needs a day or two off, bring in Ichiro to give him that rest. Yeah. But So I guess you're right. Why change what's working right now? And that's Ichiro not playing every day. So uh, what, uh, what's one of the things that you had uh, that kind of stood out? Okay, so uh, I, I want to start off with the good, and it's a player, and uh, naturally... Can I guess? Go ahead. I'm going to guess that you went with Mark Trumbo. You're absolutely right. It is Mark Trumbo. Because <laughs> oh, so on my list, I had Mark Trumbo and Ian Desmond r- written down, I... and I decided to write about Desmond instead. So. Very, very good, because I was, I was actually going to ask, you know, do we have the same people? Um, but Desmond, I looked the other day and I was blown away to see that he's performing the way he is. I guess moving from shortstop to outfield really just, uh, if you're going to talk about him later, I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about Desmond later. Yeah, let me but... put a little pin in that. Desmond, okay. <laughs> so Trumbo, I went deep into the analysis of Trumbo this season and what you'll find is that he is is really just playing out of his mind. <laughs> okay. So, um, Mark Trumbo, he's 30 years old. So, uh, the prime for a baseball player, uh, is about 29. Um, so, and Trumbo... He's right about in his prime. Yeah, he's, he's, he's on the tail end of his prime. Uh, and you know what happened with Barry Bonds. I don't know if it was because of the juice, but he was on the tail end of his prime and he started mashing like a lunatic in 2001. So maybe we're seeing that with Mark Trumbo because right now... He's got an OPS of 914. His on-base percentage is 336, which is okay. His slugging is 578, which is ridiculous. And his average is uh, 285. So comparing that to league averages, if you had an average player who was an outfielder playing in Camden Yard, uh, they would average about a 751 OPS. And meanwhile, Trumbo is, is batting well above that. Um, and, and heading into the season, I don't think anybody would say he was an average player. No, 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 no. He was, he was average and, and probably below average the way he was performing. Um, I have no idea why the Mariners wanted to trade for him because they have one of the least batter friendly parks in the league. Yeah. That's something that confused the hell out of me when it happened two years ago. Also, that was such a waste. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, but perhaps pretty interesting. Take a look at this number. So um, <laughs> his strikeout percentage is the highest of his entire career. He's striking out um, at 27.2% of his at-bats mm-hmm. this season. 
So um, you have to say, okay, so he's striking out a lot more, but yet uh, his slugging, he's swinging out of his shoes here apparently because he has a 578 and 20 home runs, which I think as late as a week ago that was leading. I don't know if that's just... Yeah, it's, it's still leading. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he's at a week. And here's the cool thing. His home, he's had 10 home runs away as well as 10 at home. So he's had equal amount. So you can say, oh, well, Camden, it's obviously a uh, arcade park where you can just launch it into the stands every time. <laughs> right. But that, no, that's not the case. He's got equal amounts home and away. He has the highest 3-1 count uh, percentage of his entire career. So he sees more 3-1 counts uh, this season than any – you know, than any point in his career. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why he's hitting so many home runs. Is because- so he's, draw- he's drawing a little more walks, possibly, being a little more patient at the plate, not necessarily less swing happy, but yeah. he's recognizing balls a little more clearly. And when he gets ahead of the count and he's forcing pitchers to actually throw in the strike zone, he's making them pay. For sure. So when you get yourself in a 3-1 count, obviously uh, you make the pitcher make a th- uh, you know, throw a pitch that he doesn't exactly want to throw. You're in control of the at-bat. It's such an advantageous position to be in a 3-1 count. And that's, I think, probably why he's hitting so many home runs. Um, Now listen to this statistic, which I just thought was hilarious. Trumbo's runs created per game is seven. So a lineup of... Wait, no, that's that's impossible. Yeah, no, 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 it's true. A lineup with nine (laughs) Trumbos would score seven runs every single game. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. I guess they, I guess they'd all just hit home runs. I guess so. <laughs> but um, who wouldn't want to see that though? Go to the, like the uh, the Baltimore Trumbos. Get to see that, nine Trumbos playing. So Trumbo has always had a lot of raw ability. Uh, when he started with the Angels, you know, a half decade ago, uh, he was really good as a rookie in his second year, and uh, he was always a K guy. Yeah. But he was able to put the ball out of the park, and people knew he had tremendous power. It's kind of like what Adam Duvall is doing this season in Cincinnati, okay. where you know he's going to strike out close to 30% of the time, but he's also putting the ball over the fence once every three games, and that's all that really matters. You're driving in the runs at that point. But uh, people, once he got traded to Arizona, people assumed that the power would go up because he's moving to a much more friendly uh, hitter environment, and that mm-hmm. just wasn't the case. He went to a ba- it was a bad organization. They didn't yeah. really have stability at the manager position. They moved him around from first base where he couldn't play really to third base where he couldn't play at all back to the uh, to the left field where he was just atrocious. So he didn't really have a defensive position. He was floating around. The team had a bunch of other young options. So Arizona just wasn't really a good situation for him. And uh, then the Mariners traded for him when he yeah. his value was you know close to the bottom as it could have been for a young talented player like him. And, again, he struggled with the Mariners. Some of that could have to do with him uh, being traded halfway through the season. Some could have to do with the, the Mariners, just they weren't a very good team. The organization, again, wasn't as stable as the Angels were. Yeah. Um, and then now the pressure's off. Right. He has, he has something to prove, and he goes into Baltimore, which is an organization that in the recent past has won. I know last season they had kind of a down year, but they have – uh, established front office. They have a team with a mix of veterans and young guys. A team that has a gr- uh, very strong offense. You know, their defense might not be the best, but they have a strong offense that doesn't necessarily walk that much. And they a lot of players that strike out. So he fit into that offense. He wasn't going to feel like he was weighing them down. He wasn't going to feel like he had to carry them either. 
Right. And uh, I think another thing that's helping him, I mean, Cameron Yards is a big deal, but you see this with players that go to Baltimore pretty frequently is they kind of have a resurgence or they'll have a career year their first season there. I think a lot has to do with Buck Showalter. Okay. And, I don't know and much Buck, about Buck. I mean, Buck Showalter, he's been one of the five, ten man, best managers in baseball since the mid-90s. He's been around baseball forever. He's seen players come and go. He's been to a handful of teams. In the, in the mid-90s, he's in, uh, he's in one of those Seinfeld episodes where George is in the clubhouse. Uh, I think he's talk- George talks to him about getting the Yankees cotton uniforms. Oh, yeah? That was one, one of the first, uh, or one of the last seasons Showalter was uh, with the Yankees. But then he, uh, you know, he moved into Arizona, and he's, he's moved around, and now he's finally settled into a place that they really appreciate him in uh, Baltimore. And he's just a really, he's one of those players' coaches. The players yeah. love playing for him. He knows how to get the best out of his players. He might not be the best... Uh, tactically in terms of sabermetrics and things like that, but he really knows how to get the best out of his players. And he, uh, he's similar in that same way as uh, Mike Sosha, who's the longtime manager of the Angels. Mm-hmm. And if you think of where Trumbo started his career and where he had the success early on, that was with Sosha. So I think a lot of his success might have to do with the situation and the ma- these player managers that he's with and these experienced veteran managers that might be able to make him feel more comfortable. Right. I'm actually pulling up a uh, quote from Showalter uh, sh- about Trumbo, in which he says, he's not just some brute, <laughs> which is a very <laughs> kind thing to say. But it, to somebody who's a brute. Yeah, it, <laughs> it's quite in line with what you're saying, how he's uh, you know, probably mm-hmm. saying, you know, Trumbo, we, we recognize how talented and excellent you are. And naturally, uh, Trumbo's responding by giving them, you know, league-leading home run numbers. Yeah, he's hitting dingers. <laughs> and the, the, there is one concern I have with Trumbo, though. Sure. And that's, have you looked at his career splits for first half and second half? Your brother Brian has been warning me about this, and I've experienced <laughs> it firsthand. I had Trumbo, I think his first season in, um, in Arizona on my fantasy uh-huh. team. And in the first two weeks, I think he hit like eight home runs. And I think he batted, like, in the first month and a half, like, 380. Yeah, and, and, and then the well went dry. Yeah, and I, I like, just, and I don't think it was this as much the last two seasons, but it's kind of hard to have a split when you're just kind of bad all around, mm-hmm. start to finish. But those first, the first two years in, uh, in Los Angeles and that year that you're talking about in Arizona, the splits were pretty tremendous. It seemed like right about in mid-July, either fatigue hit or once pitchers started figuring out and it was the middle of the summer and the heat started getting to him, uh, his, his production really kind of tailed off. And it'll be interesting to see if this new kind of new Mark Trumbo, because Mark Trumbo, even in his prime, you know, the prime of seasons past, has never had kind of such a, a complete season as he is right now. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of carry this through the all-star break and into uh, into the fall or if he's going to falter like he has and what he'll do to kind of respond to that. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping he doesn't dry up because I feel like I've seen actually interviews with Trumbo. He seems like a really nice guy and he kind of gets beat up a lot as far as, you know, this guy sucks. You know, obviously <laughs> there's been some sentiment surrounding him that he is just some brute. <laughs> for Buck to uh, come out and say something like that. But uh, one one last stat before we go back to one of your guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Trumbo's 
home run to fly ball ratio is is 21.7%. Uh, and last season it was 12.4. So that's probably not too sustainable. Uh perhaps not because the <laughs> next the next highest was uh it was about 18% in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh also a, a um hitter friendly park uh in Arizona. In but, Arizona, right. But to have, you know, almost four points percentage higher is tremendous. So maybe he's changed some mechanics. That's the thing. It's like you read you read about Daniel Murphy's incredible success and like I remember um back when he was on the Mets, I, I watch a lot of Mets games because um, you know, it's no secret I'm a big Mets fan. I remember Keith and Gary Cohen were like deconstructing what he's doing differently. And I remember looking at a side by side of like Daniel Murphy's stance from like a year ago to now and all the mm-hmm. mechanics and like apparently that's working for him. But I haven't heard anything about Trumbo, you know, radically altering his approach. So what's right. So is it luck? We'll see. Right. And it's nice that you mentioned Daniel Murphy because he I actually didn't write about him and didn't pick him as my, my numbers. And it's possible I didn't because it's just he's been talked about so much the last you yeah. know, six or eight months because he had that incredible playoffs. But it's good that you brought him up because we'd be uh, dumb not to just mention him. I mean, what, what Daniel Murphy's done since he's gone to the Nationals is completely unbelievable. It's right incomprehensible that somebody who's, you know, he's always had good patience. He's never one to strike out. But to, to go from being, you know, a career 270, 280 hitter to batting 400 through the first three months of the season, and from going to a guy that 15 home runs and a lucky year to now looking like he could hit almost 30 this year uh, is pretty spectacular. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you consider he just turned it up in, the, in that one playoff series, I think against the Cubs. Mm-hmm. And then... And, and, you know, for any discerning, like, baseball statistician or, or anybody who really pays attention to the sports, like, okay, it was going to come back to earth eventually. And right. it seems he has not. And that was months ago. Well, so just, just to get this in here real quick, Daniel Murphy's career numbers are 293. He has 73 career home runs. And his OPS on his career is 771. And he's been a competent, a very competent player. He was really good on the Mets. His defense is a little lacking, but offensively, he's pretty much as consistent as they come. Mm. This year, that 293 average is now 359. <laughs> his OPS is 994. Oh my god! He's got two stolen bases, 42 RBI, and he has 11 home runs. So he's on pace for about 23 home runs. Wow! And uh, it, it's it's just it's pretty remarkable. That is absurd. I'm looking at his numbers I, now too. His OPS yeah. nine ninety six. The most home runs he's ever hit in a season was last year when he had fourteen, and he already has eleven in oh less than halfway through. Wow. So, and maybe last year because it was a uh, you know a career high for him, maybe that should have been a sign that he could go from fourteen to maybe like sixteen or seventeen mm-hmm. if he kept pro- progressing or if there was a change, especially after those playoffs. But yeah, he. Uh, I, I don't think anybody – I don't think he'd be able to tell you that he expected to ever hit 20 home runs or that 350 halfway through a season. Yeah. Let's uh, – so I'll move on to Desmond. Sure. I can't Ian wait. Desmond was, uh, before the season, the longtime shortstop for the Nationals, mm-hmm. a young player, a talented player. And last – I don't remember him being yeah. that talented. 
Oh, he, he was talented. He, he's always had a really good glove, and he strikes out just like Trumbo does. Okay. But um, he always had power. He was one of the few guys that go 20-20 every season. Uh, so, and he had been – the Nationals are a young franchise, and I think he was one of the last uh, picks that the Expos actually had. Okay. Before they uh, became the Nationals. So he kind of had like a, a place in their heart over there. But uh, – Last season, he really struggled. Uh, he had the worst batting average he's had in a really long time. His defensive metrics absolutely plummeted. Uh, he had a lot of errors, especially in the first half. They kind of came back in the second half. But it looked like his days as a shortstop might be over. It looked like his days as a... So his days as a 2020 player seemed to, like they could be uh, kind of behind him. Ah. And it just it seemed like he was kind of going into the second phase of his career. Mm-hmm. And through the offseason, there weren't that many teams that trusted him. You didn't hear that much news about him getting signed anywhere. And kind of at the end, of the, right before spring training, the Rangers signed him, not to be a shortstop where he'd been gold glove caliber before, but uh, as a left fielder, which is a position on the field that's not usually considered a premium defensive position. Mm-hmm. You normally just kind of shoved slow guys out there that can't ruin the game. Yeah. And uh, they signed him for a one-year, $6 million, uh, $6 million contract. So they didn't particularly show that much faith in him either, but he's really responded. Uh, so far this season, he's batting 309, 355, and 488. Ah. And uh, his .488 slugging percentage is the second highest in his career. Uh, really? When, yep. when, did he, uh, when did he bat higher, do you know? In 2012, he had a 5'11 slugging mm-hmm. with 25 home runs, and those were both career highs. Wow. So he's getting close to that in power. His batting average is obviously the highest of his career. Uh, so was the on-base percentage. And it's kind of just interesting. But he's back on that 20-20 uh, pace. Uh, but his K rate's a little lower than it had been last year, but not. it's not anything... That out of the ordinary from his career numbers, uh, the same thing with the walk rate. So it's kind of hard to really figure out why his numbers are kind of exploding. Uh, but there is one thing. His batting, his BABIP last season was 307. And that was a little low from what it usually is. He usually has a BABIP between 317 and 330. So... You expected the Babbitt with 307 to kind of go up and for him to become maybe instead of a 330 or a 230 hitter like he was last year to become a 250 or a 260 hitter again. Okay. But this year's 374 Babbitt is, again, 30 or 40 points higher than uh, his kind of established uh, batting average of balls in play. So I would expect Mr. Desmond's batting average to come down quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I don't know what what do you think? Well, from what I'm looking at here, his batting average last season in Washington was uh, 233. Right. And his um, his OPS is almost 200 points higher this season. And I think I was reading about how Desmond's defensive errors were really just affecting him as a player. Like he, he mm-hmm. you know he's a perfectionist and he's in, like a very fierce competitor. So when he messes up, he takes it very personally. And I remember reading something about manager. Manager yeah. Matt Williams, last season when he was managing the Nats, uh, said, you know, he's a little too hard on himself. So maybe that mentality, like you said, 
uh, before, I think when we were referring to Trumbo, that mentality of like, okay, I'm not like a star guy anymore. I'm coming to this team. Um, and With something to prove. Exactly. He's got something to prove. And um, kind of like refocusing. And maybe sometimes that's what a player needs is a change of scenery, um, you know, new, new personnel, new staff working with them. Uh, and it worked for Trumbo, and it's obviously worked for Desmond. Well, so far. Yeah, so far. Let's see if they can keep it up. The Nationals last season were just a bad situation from the get-go. Uh, their, their man, I, I really hated Matt uh, Williams yeah. as a manager. He's, <laughs> he constantly fiddled with the lineup. He constantly took people out and kind of criticized them for a lack of effort. Uh, he would move people around in, on the field. He would kind of be—he was a little outspoken. Yeah, uh, and he, he just didn't really know how to manage the bullpen that well either. So he kind of put that team in a bad situation. And what you said about Desmond with the errors makes a lot of sense because in the first two weeks or so of the season, I think he had close to ten errors. Oh and when God. you have something like that, when you're considered uh, a very solid or above-average defender at your position, and you start a season that cold. Uh, with the glove, yeah, I could see that definitely meant affecting you mentally and affecting your game overall. Once he got the defense back under him, his second half numbers were much improved. Yeah. Uh, they, they still weren't as good as he had been in the past, but it makes sense that a guy w- with less of a defensive burden uh, or less uh, that doesn't have to think of defense as much would kind of uh, kind of have a little resurgence there and. It seems like the outfields worked really well. I mean, they just moved him to the outfield, and he'd never played there before. And they they started in left field. He played very well there. Was above average defender in left field, which makes sense because he was a really good athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, they moved him to center once they needed a center fielder, and wow. he's been pretty admirable there too. He's performed really well at center, and center is considered a very difficult position to play, and that kind of shows the. Yeah, and what great shape Desmond's in, and what kind of athlete he is, and even at thirty years old too, he's still right, got the right. range to play center field, which is impressive, considering uh, he hadn't done it before. I was gonna say, uh, you said he had ten errors in uh, fourteen or so games. Um, it seemed like it. I could be exaggerating, <laughs> but I, but I I'm like a closet Nationals fan, so I watch a lot of Nats games. Yeah, and I just I remember every game I watched. It seemed like he had one or two errors where. He, the ball would come to him, and he'd just airmail it. It was almost like a yip situation, or he'd bobble it, or yeah. he'd be too slow getting to it. I didn't know you were a closet Nationals fan. You never told me this. Uh, it's because I listen to Tony Kornheiser on the radio every day, and he's <laughs> the face in D.C., so I get all my D.C. sports uh, right. on the regular, and I really like the Nationals. I, I really like their... I like Strasburg. I like Harper. Uh, I, I went to the stadium maybe five or six years ago, and I thought the stadium was great. Uh, I went. I went too. Uh, I think I was in eighth grade, mm-hmm. and we bought tickets from a scalper, and they were like in some weird like dugout room that were, <laughs> was like <laughs> like I I don't know if I'm just remembering this because it's humorous, but I'm pretty sure like there was like some concrete pillar that was in our field of view at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to go to like the upper deck. Like we just went to the spot with like open seats, the highest in the stadium. And my grandpa has like a, a crippling fear of heights. And I remember it was like 99 degrees that day. Oh, God. And we were, st- it was either sit in the dugout room behind the concrete pillar and it was 99 degrees or conquer your crippling fear of heights and go up to the uh, upper level. <laughs> uh, I don't, I think uh, they were playing the Tigers at the time. I don't know. Interesting story, I, right? 
yeah, I when I went to the Nats game, it was a Saturday. Um, unfortunately, Bryce Harper was out of the lineup. Oh, that's a that shame. we learned once we got there, and Edwin Jackson was on the mound. But I was only there for a weekend, so uh, it was fine. Mm-hmm. And Bryce Harper came in to pitch it, and everybody went absolutely crazy because it was, I think, his first or second season. Yeah, and he was really, really good. It was pre MVP Harper, but mm-hmm. also pre you know that one injury ridden season where he was really bad. And I, I just loved how the uh, the skyline in the background you can kind of see the whole city uh-huh. and uh, the a- the atmosphere that season was really good. And there was a Third Eye Blind concert at the end. So. <laughs> Got to see one of the uh, staples of the late '90s uh, pop rock movement. I always, I always just get really depressed when I see who's like following a baseball game. You know, <laughs> um, I I went to see the Mets play the Pirates uh, in in City Field last year, and there was a Neo concert. I don't know if you remember Neo. <laughs> oh, I, I remember him well. Um, yeah. Well, and the, and the game went 15 innings, <laughs> so nobody stuck around for Neo. It's, it's, it's a real shame. I think it was did on a Neo, weekday, too. Did Neo stick around for Neo? <laughs> I don't know. I think Anthony Recker like, flew out to end the game, and we were just so disappointed we left. And my uncle was like, I think... Recker, I hardly know him. <laughs> no, he was uh, he, talking about Neo, and he said, oh. he's like, I'd rather sit in traffic for three hours and watch Neon. Let's get out of here. <laughs> um, so well, uh, I know Flo Rida had a uh, a concert last night after the Angels game. Oh, and yeah. I saw Flo Rida about five years ago, I think in 2009, after a Marlins game. The Marlins, I think, started the season like 12-0. and 0. Oh, uh, it was that season. Know, one season. Yeah, and I we remember. Went to, we went to the game uh, that wound up being their first loss. <laughs> of the year, so we felt bad already. And then after the show, it was Flo Rida with special guest, uh, and it was a surprise guest. He wasn't uh, advertised Pitbull. Oh my god! Why would so, they advertise Pitbull? I mean, like Pitbull, I feel like at, it'd at be Pitbull with special guest. Yeah, you'd think, but so that that was a bad time yeah. just to, uh, <laughs> to <laughs> close out a conversation of bad, bad concert uh, post game concerts. Hey, uh, uh, I want to talk about Trevor's story. Let's do it. He's another one of your boys. Yeah. Um, he's my okay guy. You know, not too crazy because there's good and bad with Trevor's story. First off, the, like, the story puns, I've never, ever – they've – I just find it amazing how many ways they've managed to work story into their play-by-play calls. Like he hits a home run and like, what a story this young man's writing. Uh, and I've heard that same affect in like 40 different ways. And it's kind of pissing me off. Funny enough, in my bowling class, uh, in my lane, there was a guy with the last name Story. So I got to use some of those whenever he'd, he'd, uh, he'd hit a strike. It's like, what a story you're writing. So you're a story pro. Yeah. Uh, I'm not pro-story. I'm, I'm very anti-story, as in using the puns. It just, it's been done to death. Um, and probably because you, you, don't, you don't really hear them anymore, probably because uh, he's not been playing as well. He's kind of come back to earth. So let me uh, let me regale you with some of his numbers there, Nick. Sure. Okay, so on the season, his OPS right now, uh, as of this recording, um, which is June 16th, 2016, his OPS is uh, 871. His on-base percentage is uh, could be a lot better. It's 318. And his average is 265. His slugging, however, 
is uh, 553. So that's what's kind of propping up his numbers because he does have uh, 17 home runs. Um, so the uh, league average on base percentage in course field is 350. So he's playing about 32 points uh, below that, which is uh, right. pretty interesting. And um, his strikeout rate is 33.8% which is, is very, very high. I think he has the highest number of strikeouts um, in the uh, NL. Mm-hmm. Um, that wouldn't surprise me in the least. No, no, no. He is, he's on pace for uh, 247 this season. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he's... Oh, yeah, there he is. He has, yeah, leads the league, 94 strikeouts. Mike Napoli is second with 92. Chris Davis, 87. This was kind of expected. You look at his minor league numbers and you see some, um, you know, similar things that he likes to, he always likes to swing. It strikes out about thirty three percent of the time in the minors. Yeah, 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 and thirty four percent in the uh, majors, which is expected. You know, you see an increase in strikeouts because the talent you're playing is better. But he's held up very admirably, considering that, you know, they say guys like this, you know, the um, what's it called, three true outcomes guys like Trevor Story. Where he'll mm-hmm. either strike out, walk, or home run. Um, they're kind of, you know, hard to come by once this good. And considering he's a rookie and has room to grow, I mean, he's only 23 years old. Um, and what what's kind of concerning is what you see a lot is plate discipline comes first, and then you kind of develop power uh, as as you, you know as you develop as a player. Right. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he turns out. That being said. Um, another statistic I found interesting: he has uh, ten road home runs and seven home ones. And Coors Field is notorious for being a batter-friendly park, much like Camden is. But absolutely. So s- still, you're seeing um, Story getting a lot of home runs away, which is always good to see because you don't want somebody who's like, "Oh, it's just because he's in Coors." But I like this stat too. So the win. Uh, probability average. So when a player is batting, they have a chance to increase their team's win probability. And um, Trevor Story's win percentage average is exactly zero. So, wow. So him being at bat does not change the outcome of the game whatsoever um, when you counted up all the games he's played thus far. So it's as though he doesn't exist. <laughs> um. You know, I just want a, a brief thing for my last guy. I don't know if you mind me jumping in ahead of you in line. I just, what is going on with Carlos Gomez? Uh, that's another guy I ha- I didn't put on my list. I really don't know. I, 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 all I could guess is that he's hurt. Yeah. and and Or that he got hurt sometime in the past. I know he was just on the DL for a short bit. And that could have been just a way of kind of saving him the embarrassment of being absolutely miserable. Mm-hmm. But once he got traded to Houston, I don't know what it was, but they may either they tweaked something or he may have been hurt and maybe never fully got his swing back. But he's been an absolute abomination for them. Yeah, no, it, it, it's terrible. His, um, I have his numbers right here. His OPS uh, right now is 556. His average is 189. His on base percentage is 254, and his slugging is 302. So he still is. Ha- he still has seven stolen bases. So he's got speed still. 
And he's always been a like, speedster and a good defender, so it's not like his speed is really regressing all that much. So you think he's injured? I mean, I when when a player's performance drops that much, and he isn't that old. I think he's only thirty one. He's thirty he might, years old. He might be thirty. Yeah. Right. So he's not that old, and I don't see any reason that his talent should fall off that much. I mean, usually when you have a player like that who, who you know comes to, uh, close to getting twenty home runs and has a lot of stolen bases. Um, once you see the stolen base numbers and the speed going down, that's usually a good sign that he's going to decline really dramatically because he uses that speed to his advantage. But until you see that, uh, it, it, you don't really expect everything else to kind of go. Right. It's just it's kind of bizarre that uh, it's kind of it's gone this quickly. I mean, this season he he already has sixty two strikeouts. Oh my god! And last year he only had a hundred. That's brutal. So he's never been a guy – I mean he always – he struck out just like everybody else would. But mm-hmm. to have 62 is pretty surprising. That's not – Especially without the production. 62 yeah. strikeouts is fine if you're on pace for 20, 25 bombs. But. How many walks does he have? Uh, let's 12? see. 12 walks. Yikes. Yeah, that's nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, of note, he is – Playing worse than league laughing stock Ryan Howard, who is now just a complete joke in Philadelphia. Well, he can still play decent defense, though. Mm-hmm. There's the difference. He still plays center field. Yeah, you're right. Well, um, one more thing: the Mets' perspective. It's kind of interesting how the the swing between Cespedes, who is mm-hmm. going to the All Star game this season. And Carlos Gomez, who is play- is batting worse than Ryan Howard, right? So, so you got to think of where the Mets would be last season. Probably not anything further than they would have got killed in that first series. Who did they play in the first series? Was it the Dodgers? I don't even remember. I think, but, they, yeah. I mean, I don't even know if you you could say they would have gotten to the playoffs. Yeah, for sure. Because Spedes was, you know, carried that team and rejuvenated them, and Gomez wasn't anything special in the second half last year in Houston. That's not to say that he couldn't have done something different in uh, New York, but kind of to just real quick, uh, when you were talking about Trevor Story, uh, he reminds me a lot of Jock Peterson. Story was a much more extreme example of this mm-hmm. because he had those 11 home runs in the first two weeks. But last season, Jock Peterson kind of just burst onto the scene, and all he did was hit home runs also. Yeah. And I think through the first two months of the season, he had almost 20, which is you know more or less what Story's done. So not exactly the same pace, mm-hmm. but they both got kind of the same spot. And in the second half last season, Jock Peterson's numbers just plummeted. And He's not doing very well this season either. Well, actually, so I was going to say, his first half last year was great. The high on-base percentage, and he walked a ton. And he struck out a lot, but he also homered. Um, but the second half, he just couldn't make contact at all his batting average sunk I, he wound up with only 26 home runs which is remarkable when you consider he had i think 22 or 23 at the all-star break wow so but if you look at his numbers this year his ops is up 50 points from last season's totals uh last year he only had four stolen bases and he was kind of known as a speedster in the minors mm-hmm. and this year he already has three and he's on pace for a little less than 26 homers but it's much more even. He has 11 right now. Okay. And his walks are down a bit, uh, but his strikeouts are down significantly. 
Yeah. So I think if you kind of look at Jock Peterson's, uh, the way he went from last season bursting onto the scene and then slowing down, and kind of the slow rejuvenation to a more well-rounded player this season, where he might not be as flashy, but he he's just a more complete player, you might be able to uh, hope that Story can kind of be the same if he does kind of fall off in the second half here, cut similar to Jock did. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting comparison. I wouldn't have... Uh would have gone overlooked just because I, I, I've just kind of been upset with Jock because you remember I had such high hopes for him. Also, I, I happened to Google Jock Peterson and as you were saying this, and Dodgers Digest um, happens to say maybe the reason why Jock's doing so well is Jock's dual dongs lead offense. Ah. So it could be the dual dongs. Dual dongs are always uh, well, good for some people. <laughs> well, it's right. working for Jock this season according to... Uh, According to your numbers that you've you've thrown my way, the last two guys I have on my list are uh, Joey Votto and Clayton Kershaw. So who do you who do you want to talk about? Um, I guess Kershaw, Kershaw is an easy person to talk about because I mean obviously he's the best pitcher in the league. Yeah, and I think everybody knows Far that. Far away, it's, it's not even close, and it's not even close. And just numbers that stick out. It's not it's not that it's surprising that he leads the league. But he leads the league in almost every category. Yeah. He has 133 strikeouts, which are the most in the league. And Fernandez, Scherzer, and Strasburg are all tied for second with 118. He has a league-leading 1.52 ERA. Mm-hmm. He leads the league with 108 innings pitched, three complete games, and three shutouts. With his 133 strikeouts, he only has seven walks. Oh, my God. That's absurd. So, just to put that in perspective, Phil Hughes set the all-time record for strikeout-to-walk ratio back in 20, uh, 2014 Okay. at 11.6 strikeouts per walk, mm-hmm. and he did that in, 100 and, uh, or in 210 innings. This year, Kershaw's is 19. What? So <laughs> the, the strikeout-to-walk record for a pitcher is 11.6, and Kershaw's currently at 19.0 strikeouts per walk. Oh my So he's God. absolutely destroying it. That's that's almost Could you imagine a record being broken by doubling it? By double, right. And obviously I don't think that will continue at that degree, but I think at this point it would be a complete shock if he didn't get the record in some form. Yeah, it would be an, it would be a meltdown of, you know, like right, newsworthy right. He'd, have, he'd have to he'd have to start walking like three people a game for like two months yeah. for him to not crush the record. That is absurd. Uh, and, and he's currently also on pace to break the uh, season whip record. Yeah. So Pedro Martinez set the season whip record in two thousand with a point seven three whip yeah. in a full season, and Kershaw's right now is point six four. Wow. So I don't – that one, when you have a whip that low, it's pretty uh, subjective. That outing could really kill that. Okay. I, I don't think he'll get the whip record. Uh, if he keeps pitching the way he does, obviously he will. But he's on pace for it, so that's something to look out for. So he could set the record for the uh, lowest whip in a season, and he could also set the record for the best strikeout-to-walk ratio for a starter in a season. So those are just two things to watch this year with Kershaw. And he leads the league with 11 wins. Not that that really means anything. Right. He had six complete games in 2014, which is very impressive. And, and he had three this season, which I think is absurd. 
you the know? complete game shutouts. Uh, yeah, complete game shutouts. Yeah, which which is um, I mean, even the complete game in 2016, you know, because you know, inning limits and Tommy John is you know the huge epidemic and whatnot. But right. he's so efficient. He's durable. He never he never gets hurt. Right. And I and I think a lot of that lends itself to um, the the I'm reading uh, baseball between the numbers right now, which the baseball prospectus people did it like back when Nate Silver was on the on the force, mm-hmm. and they say like the biggest thing with pitching is pitching doesn't hurt your arm, but pitching tired is uh, you know you're very likely to injure yourself if you go over like 105 pitches in an inning, and with right. somebody who throws as many strikes uh, as Kershaw does. You know they can go the distance just because they haven't thrown that many pitches even through seven or eight innings because he strikes right. so many people out. Guys that have that high strikeout rate uh, rack up the pitch count pretty high, but that's kind of because they get into these full counts and it, people foul off pitches. Kershaw attacks the zone, yeah, and he has no no hit stuff. So when you have when you're striking people out with swing and miss things, not just striking them out lucky and getting lucky on full counts. It, it can actually help conserve your uh, your pitch count a bit. So, okay. uh, w- oh, the one other stat that I found that he's leading the league in or tied actually is a uh, he's allowing people are batting one sixty eight against him this season, which is tied for the league with uh, Marco Estrada surprisingly. Mm, Marco. And, uh, yeah. So I don't know how, if that really means that the stat might just be a waste because Marco Estrada's. Having a good season, but you don't really think of him as an ace in any sense. No. But, but his batting, Kershaw's batting average against is 168. Yeah. And he is currently batting on offense 194. So he's <laughs> better as a hitter, as a really shitty pitcher being a hitter, than hitters are against him. Wow. Uh, do you think we have time to go over Joey Votto real fast, or should yeah. we just end it? Well, uh, I mean, we wouldn't want to shack Joey, so let's go ahead and talk about him briefly. Sure. So Joey Votto is uh, having what looks like to be his worst season of his career. A very, very strong, potentially Hall of Fame-worthy career. Okay. The Canadian. Um, is he now? I believe he is Canadian. Didn't know that. Well, uh, but, does it change your opinion on him? Yeah, now I, mean, I think he's a clown. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> no, I have honest. no problem with the Canadians. I love the Canadians, as Trump would say. It's probably eating poutine on the uh, on the in the dugout bench. Hey, don't don't make fun of poutine. People eat that here all the time. I've never had it. Looks pretty I, gross. I haven't either, and it looks nasty. But people get it as appetizers. <laughs> but then and again, I'm like it's not any worse than edamame, though. Yeah, or or meatloaf, which I'm a big fan of. It's literally just, <laughs> just roasted hamburger meat covered in ketchup. I've never had meatloaf because it looks so atrocious. It's it looks disgusting, but my mom has one of the best meatloafs I've ever had. It's delicious. Boys, we could have hamburger, or I could put all this hamburger in a <laughs> in a bread pan. What do you guys think? Yeah, please put it in a big ass pan and bake it instead of grilling it. Is, it, is this you speaking from experience? Because it sounds like that was a little too um. But no, yeah, I've want, never. Do you want to talk about your meatloaf experience? No. I, I'm never having meatloaf. That's just what I imagine. Yeah, I used to be a very picky eater, especially like aesthetically. If it looked gross, it wasn't my thing. And then one day I was so hungry, and it's really delicious. It's like 
you ever eat a hamburger and you think this could be so much more if they just did something with this beef instead of just squishing it together? No, but did you ever eat meatloaf and think they could do so much more with this meat <laughs> if they just put it on on a bun and <laughs> added cheese to it? No, no, because meatloaf meatloaf's so essential because it has onions and like breadcrumbs and they put all sorts of ingredients in it and it is it's it's a lot juicier than a hamburger. You know? It's moist. Yeah, it's moist. I was trying to avoid using that word because, like, a lot. Of... I felt like we're at the end of the podcast. If anybody got this far, they're not turning it off now because it's <laughs> moist. Okay, let's talk about Joey here. As much yeah, as so we want to talk about can... meat. I'll, I'll try to get through this fast. So, the Canadian wonder. Uh, <laughs> he's batting 235, and his on base percentage is 364, which are both the lowest uh, of his career since his rookie season. He has the worst walk. To strikeout rate since 2008. Mm. So he's he's really been struggling the first half of the season. Yeah. But over the past month, you know, starting in June, he has turned it on, and he still has 11 home runs. So he's he he should have over 20 homers this year. He's got 35 RBIs and 37 runs, which are low, but he's on a bad team. Right. Reds are uh, not good at all. No, I predicted them to be the second worst team behind the Braves, and it's not looking like I'm that far off. Right. Uh, well, good for the Braves. Well, no, it's not that good of a call. It's pretty easy. <laughs> but the most uh, surprising statistic is that through 65 games, Baseball Reference has given him a .1 war. Yikes. Poor guy. So he is a replacement level. And I, I think Fangraphs was .9, so they were a little more generous. So uh, it's their calculations. I obviously. think Baseball Reference is a little better. If you're asking me, Fangraphs I usually nice, do too. I think Fangraphs but... tends to inflate things a bit. And that's that green color scheme. Like, what the hell are they thinking? Well, plus, Flash always crashes on Fangraphs. Flash. I like I like a lot of stuff that's on Fangraphs, but whenever I open it in Google Chrome, it just doesn't work. Flash is a joke. It it is. It's really upsetting. But the yeah. the Maple Man. What's what's his story? I'm trying to figure out what's his Trevor well, story. So. The, the things to be optimistic are this. He has had a better last 25 games or so compared to the first two months where he was just looking awful. Um, his BABIP is 285 right now, yeah, which wouldn't be that bad for certain players. But last season it was 371, which is actually pretty normal for him. Okay. Because he's a walker. He puts the ball in play a lot. Right. And he 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 always he just knows how to where to put the ball. His and strikeout to walks ratio has been perennially the best in the league, right? Right. He's one. He's always one of like the five or six best when it comes to drawing walks. And this year that is down, but he's still drawing plenty of walks. He's just striking out a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but his BABIP is down by a hundred points from it was last year. And you okay. know, in in his in his normal seasons, his his BABIP is usually three seventy to three eighty. So that should go up, and uh, I the other thing to kind of look for is that in the second half last season, he exploded. He had a really good first half, but the second half he had a, oh, close to 500 on base percentage. Wow. And, uh, Holy Latin, moly. So, and he still looks like a 20-homer guy, possibly more than that. So if his BABIP does go up and it does settle around maybe 320, 330, which would still be lo- pretty low for him, mm-hmm. um, he could get the batting average up. He's batting over the last month 
Um, he's batting 326. Yeah. So that's obviously an improvement from the three, uh, the 235 he started the year at and he currently stands at. Why, I think a lot of it just happens to do with bad luck, maybe some bad timing. Maybe it's a mental thing with him being on a worse team and knowing that he's not going to compete. Overall, I think there are better, better days ahead for uh, Mr. Mapleton, as you called him. Mr. Maple Syrup. <laughs> Uh, let's hope so, because I, I very much like him, in spite of his Canadianness, um, <laughs> because he represents something I really like so the much. The guy that draws the walks. Exactly. He draws the walks. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, somehow my favorite play in baseball is always a, a nice walk. It's exciting. Pitch count up there. It's exciting for some reason. And especially, um, I'm a big fan of when they, like, just whip the bat at the dugout and they do, like, a little underhand toss, you know? You don't, Absolutely. I mean, it's not worth a bat flip, but you can still kind of celebrate a walk, of course. Right. Um, unless you have anything else to add about Mr. Maple. No, I, I'm, I'm good. Uh, why don't you give people your uh, Twitter handle? Sure, Nick. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'd, love to, uh, I'd love to do that. So you can find me on Twitter at uh, – my, my handle is at Meadows League. Again, that's Meadows, like, you know, you trot through a meadow, plural, so Meadows League, you know, like National League, would have you. So uh, Austin Meadows League. Exactly. Um, Nick, you know what? I'm going to make a new Twitter. <laughs> so, <laughs> just change the handle. You can't change that. You can't change that. You can't change the username. Yeah, yeah you can. You can? Yeah. People okay. change it all the time. Well, I know you can change like the stupid little thing, but I didn't know you could change your, your little handle. Because then I'll just it, it just it has to be something that's free. So if there's another Nick Alvarico in the world, you'll have to come up with something new. I well, I'm doing it right now, so I'm just gonna go to Twitter username at Meadows League. No, I want Nick Alvarico. Re-enter your Twitter password. I have no idea what it is. Please be that. Okay, it worked. Username has been taken by who? <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> this fucker. This guy looks like a chad. He's holding a thing of grapes. Dog. Oh, I thought it was a dog in the little picture. Who is this guy? I'm going to feel really bad if this guy's dead. Oh, he retweeted on June 4th, so he's alive and well. Well, uh, Rest know. in peace, Muhammad Ali. What a piece of shit this guy is. All right, so let me go ahead, and I'm just going to change my username to... No underscores. Please, no underscores. Yeah. Nalbarico, can I make it oh that? God. No, this too- bastard that stole your Twitter handle has 23 followers. I've got plenty more. Nicholas Alvarico has also been taken. What about Alvarico? Like with the H O at the end? Or Alvarico Nick? Randy Orton's really wailing on Roman Reigns. <laughs> who is? Randy. Randy who? Randy Orton. He's back? No, I'm watching the. Uh, the shield implodes. Oh my god, RKO right on the stairs. There was somebody in the background that just screamed, who wrote this? <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> what's your Twitter going to be? Probably Nicholas R. Alberico. My, it's the worst. I can't... Does it have to be funny or quirky? No, you got to find... Can I be young, young Nicholas? Mine is at Nick Sicali. Well, my name's been taken by some grape That's wielding. Kelly, N-I-C-K-C-I-C-A-L-E. What about at Nick Alberico Fun? <laughs> <laughs> no. 
<laughs> or Nick's Funhouse. <laughs> I sound like a rapist. <laughs> yeah, Can I, I do Nick like... underscore Alberico? No, don't fucking do an underscore. Why? It's imp- because it's really hard to tell. Just what? Trust me. Once you start telling people you have an underscore in your name, people think that you just either don't know how to use Twitter or they don't know what an underscore is, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> Well, I don't want to work for anybody who doesn't have an underscore. I can't put my I can't put my full first and last name. It doesn't fit. Can I just be Nalbarico? Like and Nalbarico. Can I just be Nick Alb? Nick A L B. Is that available? No, it's not. What about Nick of Rico? Nick DeRico. Nick DeRico. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Well, we're going to come up with something quick. Instead of Dan, what, what about of? Nick of Rico? <laughs> I think it sounds funny. It looks, it looks ridiculous. <laughs> it's not any more ridiculous than Meta's League. <laughs> Nick of Rick. <laughs> Nick out the deli. Well, that sounds like you. <laughs> that does, unfortunately. <laughs> um, God damn it, I hate my last name. It's so long and unwieldy. F-O-T-D Freeman. What about Freeman, Alberica? Because that's not my long. name. What about Nick Freeman? That's not my name either. Cause, and Nick Freeman is definitely taken. It's not. It is, I'm looking at it right oh, now. Oh, yeah, it is. I, I put Freeman with an E. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be young Nick Alberico. Good boy. That's what I'm going to be. Already taken. <laughs> Good boy. Good boy, Nick. That sounds like I'm some sort of, like, dominatrix fan or something. What about Good Burger, Nick? <laughs> what about Meatloaf, Nick? <laughs> we'll see. And then Nickloaf. <laughs> you can't put Nickloaf. You can't do it. Nick Loaf is unfortunately taken. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's last name is actually Lofred. His last name is Lofredo. I'm just going to do something like you can just tell somebody their handle very easily, you know? What about at Nick Doreen? This <laughs> would be like a Nick Doreen, but with Nick in front. <laughs> Nick Doreen? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but people are going to get confused because there's a K in there. Yeah, you're right. It's already taken. Somehow it's already taken. In the nick of time? Nick of time? (laughs) Gone. God, this is so difficult. Alberico. Already taken. Alberico Nick. Available. It's the worst. That that is really pathetic. (laughs) You might as well be the loaf. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Nick of Loaf. <laughs> loaf of Nick. Loferico. <laughs> um, what about Loaf of Nick? That's available. I don't, I don't want, like, employers. I'm going to put my Twitter handle in the... Uh... Loaf to Nick. <laughs> Nick to Rick. <laughs> Nick of Rick. Holy shit. Let me just put Nick 
take a break and see what happens. Take a break. It's available. It doesn't make sense. What about uh, who's your, what's your dad's name? Anthony, son what of Anthony. Think of Anthony. <laughs> That's weird. What son of Anthony? <laughs> Can I really get away with son of Anthony? <laughs> it's available, I think. It is. <laughs> but I'm more than just my dad's son. But but son of Anthony seventy three is not. <laughs> <laughs> what about Nick Offrika? Can we get off this Rico thing, please? <laughs> okay. Um, that's why Meadows League was easy. Bird boy. <laughs> Bird nerd. What about Nick Dinger? <laughs> Check out my Dinger. To go, like, your employer's like, okay, so what's your Twitter handle? Uh, Nick Dinger. <laughs> what about at unemployed? Job seeking man. What about at unemployed Nick? <laughs> Job seeking Nick. Available. <laughs> That's not a bad one, actually. I kind of like that. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Right now, we're just going to go with job seeking Nick because, let's face it, that's what I am. I'm embracing it. Okay. Um, my LinkedIn is Nick Alberico. I'm currently looking for work, uh, particularly in data analysis. I have some experience working with data analysis in baseball, um, working for Nova Southeastern University, helping them out. So give me a call. Hit me up on LinkedIn, Twitter. I'm a real great guy. As you can tell, I'm very knowledgeable from the past hour. You've, you've probably gleaned that. I just do a really bad job of picking out Twitter handles. So if the job doesn't involve that, I'm set. So. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Nick Sicali, N-I-C-K-C-I-C-A-L-E. We do have a Hotmail <laughs> <laughs> email account. Fresh out the deli at hotmail.com. And uh, hopefully by this next... Uh, the next podcast will have a non-hotmail email. <laughs> All right. Oh, I find that so funny. All right. Well, I, th I think we're good here. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And please listen to us again. Thank you very much. Siri, what's the... Fucking bitch. I got it. All right. <laughs>